remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to and during any question. You can't afford one in a court appointment for you. You understand your rights? Your crime spree was over, son. Yeah, you thought you had it licked. But it man over time. Made you sugar turn to shit. <laughs> Warning, each episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast will contain descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature and are for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show. These facts are I'm retelling were presented to me by the victims of the crime or the perpetrators who committed the crimes. My descriptions of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you are going to get offended, turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton, with my partner, Jim, the hitman, Raffman. What's up, buddy? What's going on? How we doing, 28? <laughs> I, I just quit calling you Jim, call you hitman after the patron episode, huh? I guess everybody liked that story. There was a ton of feedback on that. Um for those that haven't heard that, you may want to go join our Patreon page. Yeah, there was a hit, literally. Yeah, we talk about. Let's talk about it for one second. Um, the it, it, we always talk about Patreon, y'all, because it, it's the Patreon. We love all our members and all our fans, but the Patreon really helps support us, and uh, it means a lot. And the so we are going. We already are the best in the business as far as it comes to giving benefits for our Patreon, because not only do you get uh, bonus episodes that are locked up for patron only like the hitman is i think we have five of those locked up now but you get discounts on merchandise you get discounts uh, i think you know ten dollar above tiers or like the twenty dollar tier i think after three months you get a free shirt so that's that's knocks you down to only like 40 bucks that uh and fifteen dollar you get a free mug different so i mean just go check it out. It's a lot. We give you everything that we can, but but it's because y'all are important to us. Now, all of our members are important to us. We love you and we appreciate you. But patron, we just got to give you your props and let you know that we love you. Uh, but that it really was. We got a, a huge uh, amount of response from, from the Hitman episode. And so evidently, it's one of the favorites that are locked up in patron. So if y'all want to, go check it out. So... All right, a uh, couple things we want to talk about real quick before we get started with today's episode, Shrimp Boat, is I want to talk about, first of all, our new music. And we get a lot of response. I, I know Jim gets it all the time. I get it all the time about Tom Play, and it's T-O-M-P-L-A-Y. That's uh, Toby and his wife, Shelly, who 
put together our new intro music and the, you know, they're, they're awesome, but y'all they're professional artists and the, you know, they, they play all over South, South Louisiana, but the, so it's Toby and Shelly and, uh, they go by Tom play T O M P L A Y. They just released four new sig- singles on Spotify, Apple music, et cetera, pretty much anywhere you can download music from and the music video dreams, which is, uh, on YouTube and the, uh, They're currently recording for the next album, and the website is TomPlayMusic.com. And on Instagram, they're TomPlayAllDay and Shelly Brown Art. The the YouTube channel is Toby TomPlay. Y'all, please subscribe to them uh, on their Instagram, YouTube, etc. Email is on the website, uh, and they're huge, huge, huge real life, real crime fans. And they, I mean, they spent days in the studio putting that together for us, uh, because they love the show. And so we're giving them a little love back. Right, John? Absolutely. They freaking kick ass. I mean, that intro is badass, but their new songs are freaking phenomenal. Yeah, they they are. So you got to go check them out. Definitely do so. Show them some love, some support. Cause they're, they're just great artists. They, really appreciate hey, they, them. they are really good looking couple too, man. That the, uh, I bet they, you know, really drawing the crowds. It's funny because I've been gone uh, from down there, you know, now naturally all hunting season and the, and the cocoa case before that, but he keeps hitting me up wanting me to come see him play. I said, dude, as soon as hunting season is over, we're going to be like groupies because my wife and I love to go out to <laughs> the different places and have a couple Guaranteed of drinks. Guaranteed we'll be going soon, very, yeah. very soon. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. And they play all the time locally for you Louisiana fans. Uh, uh, so check them out. They're awesome. We love them um, and love the music. I mean, everybody loves it, right? So second thing we want to talk about is our live show. It was live show. Now it's going to be live shows coming up. And the first one is on January the 24th of 2020. And the second one's that's a Friday night, y'all. It's going to be at 7 p.m., at the Livingston Parish Literacy and Technology Center. And it, that has to do with Southeastern's campus, but it's in, it's in Walker, Louisiana, right in the heart of the good OLP. And y'all have heard of a many of a real life, real crime story about Walker, but they, it's going to be there both nights on the 24th and the 25th. Tickets are going to go on sale. The, uh, they should be Final lines being drawn up tonight. They have to go through a website and have to have certain information on them and all that. But it's, by the time y'all hear this tomorrow, I'm sure they'll be on sale. Uh, look, it's not a lot of them, y'all. It, it, we have a couple hundred tickets to sell total. So, you know, get them fast and um, as quick as you can because, you know, if they sell out, they sell out and then we can do it about it. But really excited about uh, Carrie Jennings. Uh, Miss Carrie Jennings and Kim Alvin, they're awesome. Another lady, Miss uh, Maskill, did a, a video post or went on Southeastern's radio station yesterday and announced us. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of interest in it. It's gonna, we're going to do original, uh, an original case show uh, uh, that nobody's ever heard before, and we're going to do it live. And I think we're going to have Rocket, huh, Hitman? Oh, we're going to absolutely rock it. And what's great, I mean, it's, it's a good problem to have. Uh, and the reason you need to get on these tickets so fast is we've actually got more requests for tickets than we have available to sell. 
Right. So once we put them up, they're going to go pretty darn quick. So make sure you jump right on it. You go on and get secure your tickets because uh, Woody and I would love to be able to meet everybody, have a chance to talk with you, and we're going to put on the live a great live show for you. Yeah, and the the, the y'all the Livingston Parish Literacy and Technology Center. I mean, what what I looked up and read about so far, man. That and we'll we'll talk about it a whole lot more in the episodes to come. But I'm going to tell you something. This is really a cool place. And they, they offer all kinds of classes, not only just to the Southeastern College students, but like life classes. Like um, one of the classes they have coming up is an eight-week conversational Spanish that some of the local businesses like banks are using. And just uh, so they can, they can interact with their customers better. But they just have all kinds of really cool stuff. And there's some really awesome people they were welcoming us with open arms, and we were we're, we're going to talk about them every week. I can promise you that. When when I'll have all we'll, Jim and I'll have all the information, uh, their websites and and everything for you to go to. But we really want to thank them for putting us on. Uh, um, and you know, it's really exciting. So that's it on that. Other than that, y'all, the uh, uh. We're going to roll on, I guess, Jim. you have anything before we start? I'm ready to do this episode. I'm excited for it. All it's right. a good one. Hey, y'all. So I think the year was 2000 Shrimp Boat is the name of the episode. And first of all, let me preface it like this. If you're going to get offended, turn my shit off now. Okay? Because it's, it's, got, it's got some it's some horrible stuff in this episode and if we make light of any part of this episode it's in no way it, and all our true fans know us but there's some hater out there somewhere to be like oh i can't believe y'all laughed telling a story a part about a story like that but we always pray for our victims and we feel for the victims hell that's why we did the job all right and and that's why we put the bad guys away so they couldn't hurt anybody else so but if you're going to get offended Turn the podcast off now. Do us all a favor. All right. Cause this is, this is, it's tough. It's going to be, uh, but this is the kind of stuff we dealt with, unfortunately, all the time. I think it was like 2004, 2005. I'm back. Y'all know we're unscripted. We're raw and unedited. Okay. So we're going strictly from memory, no notes, nothing. So just, you know, we'll skip around a little bit on it, but the, the, the base parts of it are no matter what, then they're just not going to change. But so what I think it was 2004 or 2005. I don't remember, but I got a call. It was 05. 05. Okay. 05 or 06. It was somewhere into there. Okay. So it's the, the, uh, Jim and I were partners in the, I don't know. You, you must've been in court or something. I don't remember, but I got a call. Uh, Tina Stafford called me and said, Hey, Woody OCS needs you to go to the, the CAC center like now and OCS y'all is the office of child protective services and the CAC is the child advocacy center. And y'all have heard us talk about it before. The child advocacy center is where children who have been offended against or may possibly have been offended against, uh, um, go to be forensically interviewed by a, trained skilled forensic interviewer and and they go in um they it's just the child and the interviewer in the room and they go over what is and look they do it from all ages i think i've seen like as young as four or five something like that all the way up to 16 
years old, the victims or alleged victims. Um, anyway, so the interviewer takes them in the room. They ask, go ahead. Yeah, some Jim. Yeah, they are trained in fact finding interviews, and that's the whole purpose of it. They're forensically trained to work with children to find the actual facts. But they so can't you're not getting some fabricated. That's story. right. They can't ask leading questions. though. they have to. They they have to open, you know, with the general question about it, whatever. So let, let me get to. I to, let me get to it. The uh, I know I'm skipping around. So let, the the CAC office was right down the street from our office at the courthouse. And I went over there and I met the uh, OCS worker outside. And we never met the kids before they went in the room so they wouldn't get intimidated or whatever. So the the girl, uh, I think she, she, was she 12 or 13, Jim? I think she was just turned 13. Um, but anyway, right. she, she was in the interview room and already. And I met the OCS worker and she said, listen, this little girl spent the night at her friend's house last night for the first time ever. And uh, when they went to bed, okay, the, the mom said, it's time for y'all to go to bed. She said they went upstairs and they changed to go to bed and they're, they're in the bed getting ready to go to sleep. And then the little girl, of course, we're not going to say names. We'll say our victim, uh, they're getting ready to go to sleep. And the victim rolls over and asks her friend, says, your mama's not coming to get you? She said, what you mean? They got on the bed. She said, but she doesn't come to get you? And she said, I don't understand what you're saying. She, she said, well, my mom comes to get one of me and my sisters every night to go get in the bed with her and daddy. She picks a different one of us every night. And she's like, what are you talking about? That her, her new friend, who's the victim's friend, so like, is asking her, what are you talking about? Because she, get it. she doesn't understand, right? She's 12 or 13. And... um the she said, well, the, she said, what do you do when you go to bed with them? She said, well, we, we you know, we play games and uh, uh, sex games and stuff. And she was like, the little girl was kind of blown away. And I guess she was too scared to say anything else about it to her because the the conversation ended. She didn't ask her any questions or whatever. She didn't get up and go wake her mom and daddy up. But she went to school that morning, first thing, and went to the school counselor. And, and told her in privacy, said, look, this, you know, will save the victim. Uh, uh, a friend told me last night when we were laying in the bed, asked me, was my mama coming to get me? And I was like, why would you, you know, your mama, be, why would mama could be coming in here? And she told her what, what the victim said. So right then they have to act. So the first thing they do is they call OCS, the Office of Child Protective Services, they're going to call a uniform guy out uh, um, to take the initial report from the uh, school counselor and, o- and OCS. And once OCS heard what the little girl, the witness had to say, they took the uh, the victim to the CAC center. They pulled her out of school. Now, problem is the victim had three younger sisters. Uh, um, I think they were they were only like a year and a half to two years apart in age. So it went like 13 to 11, 11 to nine and seven. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, they were close. It's like, you know, I think it's close. You, you could pop them out, uh, uh, without it being somebody else's kid. Was that like a, every nine months and then whatever, I don't know. But they were, they were all, it was like uniform spacing on, on how close they were together. So 
get I said, okay, you know, cool. I mean, I've done shit. I, I just can't tell you how many. On one case, I did over 45 of these interviews, these forensic interviews, right? So I've done hundreds of them. And I, I know that they called and asked, was I on duty? Because they knew I wasn't going to take any shit. And some of the guys would go uh, listen to these things and then write it up and, and send it to the district attorney. Well, when you get done as a cop at the end of the CAC interview, you can do generally one of three things. You you can go, you can have the warrant, go make the warrant up yourself and sign it because you ha- heard enough probable cause and you believe it through the CAC interview that the child was offended against or whatever it may be, molestation, rape, whatever, uh, uh, improper touching, whatever it may be. Or you can write it up and tell them you're going to give it, send it to the DA's office and they can grand jury it. Or, um, you can actually, if you believe it, you can, you can let the, the, one of the parents get sign the warrant. So if the parents are there, and in this case, that, that wasn't even an option, but they, I didn't, I didn't fuck around with them. And I got one, but I, I, there were some of them, you know, that just weren't true. But if I believe, the child was telling the truth, then I would generally just go ahead and get on the warrant myself. So what happened was the we had a separate interview room. Uh well they they had the interview room, it was a comfortable room, has toys in and stuff like that. And generally that's for the younger kids, but uh we would sit in the in a back room that had a closed circuit television and we had contact with the interviewer where she had an earpiece in and that way you listen to the whole thing. And if, if you needed some more information from a law enforcement standpoint, and they could ask the information without it being a leading question, if they could work it in, they would. Uh, so I went in the back room and the little girl's already in there and they go in and they go through, what's your name? And my name is such and such. Do you know what I do here? And, um, so, well, I talked to kids that something may or may not have happened to you. I just talked to kids and this is a safe place and we can say anything we want need to here. You're not going to get any trouble. Nobody can hurt you. Uh, you can say whatever words you need to say. And they, they, it's the same spiel every time, y'all. And I've listened to it hundreds of times. And then they get through, you know, the difference between telling right and wrong and uh, telling a lie and telling the truth, et cetera. And she said, I don't want you to tell me the truth. Today, don't make anything up. Don't guess at anything. Just if you don't know, just say, I don't know. And say, hey, she would always say, and Jennifer Thomas was the best one, best one I ever worked with. They're all great, but Jennifer Thomas was yep. just a bomb. And she, she, she would say, you know, sometimes I speak too fast. So if you don't understand me, then blah, blah, you know, just whatever. So they start out with general questions. What's your name? Victim says the name. Where are you from? Well, this little girl immediately says, I think it was like Chauvin, Louisiana. It's somewhere down in Terrebonne Parish. And when I say Terrebonne Parish, for those of y'all outside of Louisiana, we're talking about extreme South Louisiana, like falling off into the Gulf of Mexico South, right? And there's nothing down there. One road in, one road out. And the only thing on either side of the road is water, and uh, uh, fishing boats and, and camps, a lot of fishing camps. But the big thing down there, the two, probably the two main industries for the whole state of Louisiana are are fishing uh, and gas and oil, right? A lot, all the offshore boats and stuff go out of there. But anyway, when she, wherever it was, and she said it, I knew it because I used to have a fishing camp down there years ago. 
So the little girl says, that's where she's from. And the interviewer says, so when did you move here? And she said, oh, we've only been here like a month and a half. And and she said, okay, well, can you tell me uh, who your parents are? And she gave the name of the of her dad and her mom. And do you have any brothers or sisters? She said, yes, I have three. And can you tell me their, their names and their ages? And she told them. Uh, uh, I mean, the little girl was not dumb by any any stretch of the imagination. Uh, she, she was well-spoken. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking about proper English, y'all. I mean, I'm like, I'm just saying she was, uh, help me out, Jim. I mean, the, the. She was intelligent. She was, she she, she was intelligent, even if she wasn't formally educated is what I'm trying to get to. And, uh, yeah, yeah, she was intelligent. Uh, she, I mean, she had a little wit about her. I mean, she was, she was no dummy and the, but she had a serious, serious Cajun accent. Uh, um, but so they start to go through it. And then the, the interviewer says, okay, well, you know, you, I talked to some kids and things may have happened to or not happened to after she goes to the family stuff. And she, oh, she said, um, you, you moved here a month and a half ago. She said, why did y'all move here? And, and the little girl said, we moved here because I, I got my first boyfriend and my daddy found out and he got furious and he packed us all up and moved us in two days. He came, he drove up here, he found a place and he came back and he picked us up and, and moved, put everything in the truck and moved us up here. And so that's kind of strange, right? And she said, well, what was it about your boyfriend? Did he not like him? And she said, no. So my daddy is jealous of all guys he gets so so jealous and she said well, baby, what does she what does he get jealous of he says she gets he said he gets jealous of me and my sisters if we talk to any boys or if any men talk to us and i'm thinking mm, okay you know maybe whatever i mean you know, taking it in right and then she said well i don't understand she said I mean, did did he catch you and the boy together or something? I mean, did something happen like that? And she said no. But the I'd started talking to him on the phone. She said I got a phone, uh, a prepaid phone for my birthday, and and he caught me talking to him on the phone, and that was it. He, she said he snatched us up and moved us up here in two days, pulled me out of my school, stuck me in this new school. Uh, um, and we've been here about a month and a half. So she said, okay, well, um, tell me where you spent last night. And she told her about her new little best friend. She said, she's such a sweetheart. And, uh, I was a new girl at school and I was nervous, but she was so nice to me. And she lived right down the street from us. And we just became, we rode the same bus, blah, 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 et cetera. And then she said, well, did you tell her anything last night when you went to bed? And she said, yeah. She said, I asked her how come her mama didn't come to uh, get her. And and she she didn't understand, I don't guess. She said she said her mama never came to get her. And she said, I don't understand that. And she said, well, what do you mean? That, what do you mean? Why would her mama come to get her? And she said, well, my mama has always come to get me. It was at first it was me, 
And then as my sisters got older, it, that she would start coming. We didn't know which one of us she was going to pick, but she would come and get one of us to go to bed with her and daddy. And the interviewer says, okay, so when you would go to bed with them, why would you do that? You had your own bedroom, right? She said, yeah. She said, okay, what, what would happen when you would go to bed with them? And she said, um, we play games. And she said, well, well, what kind of games do you play when you're going to bed? And she said, well, she said, and she didn't want to say the word. She was kind of like shy about it. And that's when she uh, reminded her that, you know, it's okay to say whatever you need to in here. You're not going to get in any trouble. And she's like, I'm not really, I guess, supposed to talk about it, though. And she said, but in here, you can talk about it. She said, well, we play sex games. And I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. And and uh, and she said, okay, can you tell me um, what you mean by sex games? And the little girl was like, mm, you know, I guess she didn't want to ex explain things or whatever, but the interview was like, okay, can you just tell me the, the last time, uh, she said, when was the last time? And she said, it was just a couple of nights ago that I went and she said, okay, what happened on this specific night? Uh, uh, what kind of games did you play? She said, you know, you're not going to get in trouble. And I know you, you may be a little embarrassed, but just tell me the truth. That's all. And she told him, she said, well, we, it was sex games and, and, and she said, okay, you got to tell me what that means, sweetie. And she said, well, I, I do, uh, things with my daddies. And she was kind of, she said, you can say whatever word you need to say. And she said, penis. And, and, and she said, okay. And what else? And said, my daddy does things to me down there. And it said, my mama does things to me and I do things to my mama. And I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. And then then kind of briefing it up just a little bit, you know, she they have this chart of a, um, of a human, like, a, you know, like a, a, what do you call it, Jim? Uh, it's the outline of the body. What do you call it? The, uh, yeah, you have like a diagram. A diagram of, of the human body from the head to toe and the arms are spread to the side. And she's like, can you, you know, can you show me when you say that you do things with your daddy's penis, can you show me where the penis would be on here? And, and she would circle the spot and she said, when he touched you can, or whatever was it, she said, can you circle it on here? And she said, what do you call that? And she said, I'll call it my private. And then same thing about the mom. And she circled, she circled the, uh, she called them the boobs on, on herself and the mom part. And um, anyway, I'm like, fuck, here we go. And the, another, you know, David Constance case, right? And so I, my brain's thinking at this time, I'm thinking, okay, well, the first issue is going to be if this has been going on for years and they just lived in Livingston Parish, I said, I need Livingston Parish. I need her to talk about the Livingston Parish cases now. And so we can start working this because the problem is she's got three siblings that are in school that are going to get back on that bus at three o'clock. And, um, so I, I, I told the interview, I said, listen, we really need to concentrate on one, this one specific incident, uh, the last time that she remembers it happened. And so I can get the charges off of that. So we can go get the other girl, other girls out of school and we'll take care of it from there. So she, she stuck with that night and, um, 
basically the, the little girl said that the, the uh, she gave oral sex to her dad and her mom, and then they gave oral sex to her and that they had, she didn't say oral sex. I don't remember the exact words that she used. And, um, but and then they had intercourse. Her, her dad had intercourse with her, et cetera. And it, you know, she's going through the stuff. Right. And I'm like, fuck, here we go. And the, but then the, uh, the, I said, ask her, is there anything, did they, did they do any type of videotaping? And then I, I realized that she couldn't do that. And I was I said, just word it out. I'm, I need any kind of information. If we go to hit this house, anything that, that I can look for that, that'll verify her store besides her words. So the interviewer kind of played around with that and not, not in a leading way. She's like, okay, well, when, when y'all do, um, when y'all play these games or you have this time together, you know, um, is there ever anything besides y'all touching each other? And she's and her face, like she jerked up and she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she says lots of toys. There's lots of toys. And I was thinking toys. And, and she asked her, she said, what kind of toys? And she said, you know, like sex toys. And she said, no, I don't know. So you got to explain it to me. And she said, there's lots of toys that we use on each other. And I'm going, oh, fuck. So I get the get the phone. She's keeping talking to her. I'm listening. And I called Jim. And I rained on his day. <laughs> the uh, yeah. the I'll let you talk about it for a while, Jim, because this part is all important. But one of the things I, uh, I did have her ask was um, uh, about the toys. I'm trying to remember. Oh, firearms and, and, and the – she had, she did that kind of like in the beginning where it asked, you know, do, do, y'all, do y'all, y'all from down there, do you, did you fish? Do you hunt? She said, my daddy hunts. He has guns. So I called Jim and you could take it, brother. Yeah. Yeah. I had court that morning. So when I got done with court, I ended up going back upstairs. So I was doing some follow up detective. What he calls me was like, dude, listen to this. And just like what he said, I thought I was thinking David Constance and, you know, other cases. And and he goes and explains it. And the first thoughts that I remember having was like, my gosh, this poor girl thinks that this is normal. Like, like it's normal for every day that your parents pull you out of your room and bring you into their room and do this. Like, as if she didn't know any better, which is why she said that to her friend. And I'm like, holy shit, this has been going on for List beginning her life. That's all she knows and her sisters. Oh, oh you know what? So what do you go? Let me, let me interrupt because I, I forgot. I'm sorry and it's unscripted. But what? Uh, well, no, go ahead. I'm, I, I can tell you about that because the little girl ended up talking about it uh, when she said, how long has it been going on? The interviewer got around to that question. And she said that she thought she was like six or seven years old. And her mama called her into the living room one day. And her other sisters were like, even either not born or, or way younger, called her into the living room one day and her mama and daddy were having sex and her daddy made her stand there and watch them have sex. And she said that happened maybe three or four times. And then the daddy started making her join in. Uh, and that's how it all started. So, but she did, I mean, she didn't think there was anything out of the ordinary. This dad kept them in strictly secluded 
uh, area. Didn't let him go stay tonight at people's house, et cetera. But she ended up saying like that new, that cell phone that she got uh, uh, for her 13th birthday or 12th birthday, whatever it was, she had to give her daddy a blowjob for it. And then she said, anytime her, her sisters want to do anything, they had to have sex. If they want to go to McDonald's, which was like a 30 minute drive from where they live down South, they, they had to, they had to, I mean, they had to be raped by their daddy to go to McDonald's. Well, go ahead, Jim. Yeah, and that's disgusting. You had to provide a service to get something that you need as a kid. Um, but what he ended up asking me to start writing a search warrant because we were going to need to do a search warrant. And I was on it. I was active on SRT at that time as well. So I started writing up the search warrant, you know, uh, based on the information he was telling me, which, you know, the location of the house, um, if I remember right, the, the dad drove a, like an old brown Ford truck. Yeah. Wasn't that right? A brown Ford truck. Yeah, yeah. One of those old, um, old, uh, you know, I started putting in there cancer. about the sex toys, uh, you know, just any kind of evidence we could collect. We don't know if there's videos or photos that, that maybe the girl isn't even aware of. We're putting that in there. Um, and also the, you know, the, the hunter. So obviously that's just that's good right. information to know. Right. Um, it's good to know too, because if we're going to be hitting that house later on with search warrant, you want to know what's behind those doors. Right. And firearms obviously is the biggest threat. So, right. you know, knowing that information, I went ahead, wrote up that search warrant, um, and I went and started scouting that area out. So I drove out Wait, hey, to hey, where the residence is. Also, the you uh, when Tina Stafford was was the bomb dot com on on, on Heck the, yeah. the but you uh, uh you you get you I had you get Tina to start drawing up the uh, arrest warrants for the, the parents for one count each aggravated rape. That's important too, while you were doing that. Cause I need the CAC's interview. Sometimes y'all would take, you know, three hours or more, depending on how much the kid was talking. And this kid was just talking and talking, but go ahead, Jim. Right. And it was just our way of getting ahead of the game. Right. Um, and Tina Stafford, she was the greatest. I miss her a lot. She was just, I'll tell you, she had our back so much. It's unbelievable. Yeah, she was doing her part of getting those arrest warrants going while I'm getting that search warrant going, um, and then you know it gets passed down to the judges' chambers where they review it to uh, to sign it to make sure to authorize it. I went as an, because I would be on the SRT team um, to do the search warrant. I went ahead and scouted it out, uh, so I took another deputy out there with me. Um, we went out to the residence, which is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it was like, like literally in the middle of nowhere. Set off back we in the woods. We drove by. Yeah. Go ahead. What's I'm that? sorry. I said it was set off back in the woods. Tactically, it wasn't a good place to approach if, if, if the dude's sitting there armed waiting for you to come. Yeah. Well, it's a terrible look. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we scouted out the best we can. You try to, you know, memorize what you're seeing so you can draw it up later on so you can come up with your tactical plan. So when it, you know, did our little survey, uh, the truck was there at the time um, that I was out there. So I got, I was able to note down the, the vehicle. And then I came back to the sheriff's office to meet up with Woody, who I believe you were just, you just got done or were just finishing up your, your uh, last bit of work on it. So we can, we can get started. Yeah. And then the, uh, when I came back, I got the uh, the warrants and went ahead and hand walked them down to get them, to get them signed. And I know you had gone to the range or you were getting whoever it was on the team, the SRT team, to go hit it. Now we were on the clock, y'all. Literally, uh, when I 
uh, I called OCS workers. I said, you got to go get these other girls out of school. Uh, um, they obviously can't go home. We're going to be making an arrest on the parents today. I said, but it's going to be a multi-jurisdictional case because they've, they've been getting raped for all these years down in Terrebonne Parish. So, um, but we, we, I mean, and I, the, all the kids evidently have, have been raped in Livingston Parish also. Go ahead. And it was just, it was incredibly important that you, you have to put the child's safety first. And so that's why we were up against the clock because when they get out of school, they're getting on the school bus to go home. That's so we need to get them secured, but we also need to be handling business at the house because you, you want the children to be safe. You cannot put them back in harm's way. Yeah, well, the the thing is the parents aren't going to know that we're coming and won't have the heads up until the school bus goes by and the kids don't get off, and then they start calling. That's right. So, and now this CAC is going on all afternoon. Jim's getting SWAT ready. I'm getting warrant signed, and shit, it's, it, it passed. I mean, the, the 3 o'clock time came. It, it was right when we were getting ready to go. Now, I, I said we could probably got there around, I don't know, 3.45, 4 o'clock. Uh, but go ahead, Jim. You could tell about taking the house and all that. Yeah, so we got you – know, we, we approached it. Learned SWAT the best way that we could. Um, we went ahead and we went in the house. One of the things I noticed when I got there was the truck was not. So I didn't notice the, the truck. Um, we went ahead and entered the residence. Only the mom was there. Uh, children was not being there. Uh, went through the house to secure it. And one of the spots that we passed was this large uh, gun case or a gun safe. That's right. And it had its multiple racks in there for, you know, rifles and shotguns and pistols and ammunition. But it was completely yeah. empty. Yeah. And I thought that was, you know, that was pretty odd that, you know, here's, here's a gun safe where this guy, you know, keeps everything and it's completely empty. Yeah. It, it was very alarming. Yeah. We're not talking about a Taj Mahal either. Y'all, this is like a, a $200 a month trailer, old trailer stuck way back in the woods. Uh, and the, I guess in a way, uh, dealing with this kind of guy's mindset after I heard everything this little girl said about how controlling he was, and it was a lot more to it than the interview, but, um, and how jealous he was and, and, and everything. I'm thinking, mm, this cat's not going to go, you know, probably go easy, but evidently when the, uh, well, I just tell you straight up, uh, when, when we, they got there, secured the residence, uh, placed the mom under arrest and advise her rights, and I actually told her, I said, the, use your Miranda rights for right now and don't say a word because I'll, I'll talk to you when we get done. And then we would begin the search of the residence. Um, and it's when we went into the, the bedroom. Actually, and I know you were too, Jim, I was suspecting the, this kind of shit going on that there was going to be some type of video equipment because almost important uh, for the sexual deviant to do the act is to record the act. As in to relive it. That's right. As in Denny and, and Cynthia Perkins. The uh, but I guess this dude either couldn't afford it or he didn't know how to run the technology because we didn't find any camera stuff. But we did find and with the, okay. So when you hit when you hit a house, Jim, explain hitting the house, going through securing, and then doing a secondary sweep and then search it without giving away too many tax. Explain how that goes now. Well, when you originally go up to the house, you're you're checking windows and, and doors, and you know you're looking for anything out of the ordinary that you need to 
put some extra attention on. When you get up to the door, we're going to force entry. So whether we use a ram, whatever, you know, we're going to we're going to make entry into that residence, and then you start splitting off. And I'm not going to speak about that. That's because I don't give right. that stuff away. Right. right. But we have a certain systematic way of being able to quickly but effectively get through each room of that entire house so that way it's secured so, we're, we're know, talking like we're talking people, like 30 seconds y'all uh, uh fast i mean it, it, it doesn't even take that i mean it's it's quick and it's you know if two guys peel off you know someone else is going next and, right. and it just it keeps bounding its way through um and you overtake the house and that's how it works once you you know have cleared the room out and you have that, like, like the mom for this case, you know, she's placed onto the ground. She's put into handcuffs. Somebody's got her secured. We don't find anybody else. You have to now do secondary sweeps. And what's important about the secondary sweeps is that people, people hide. And I've had it before. I found people in cabinets. I found oh, yeah. them hiding under, you know, piles of clothes. Absolutely. Um, underneath beds. I mean, if there's a hiding spot, they're going to hide there. So you have to look at everything. So you open up, you know, cabinets, you're lifting up beds, you're lifting up mattresses, clothes piles, looking in, you know, any any possible spot where somebody can yeah. actually hide, you want to sweep that. And, and y'all, this is not something you take lightly. You have to consider that you don't know who you're dealing with, that this person might want suicide by cop. They, uh, they might want to just kill a cop. And it happens every day. Somebody gets shot somewhere doing this. So when you're doing this is a high adrenaline high motion, but highly trained thing. And that's why, and Jim can tell you in the military and SWAT, et cetera, the, uh, the, when you do your training, you know, a lot of times you'll go run the obstacle course and then come back while your heartbeat's still up so hard, high, and then shoot the, shoot the pistol course or whatever it may be. It's to try to simulate what you feel like when you hit a house. And I'll never forget that when, uh, my very first time on the SRT to go hit a house, we were hitting two houses at the same time. My, fr- from where we left to go hit the house, I was in the back of, back of that uh, SWAT van, and my heart was about to beat out of my chest. And so, I mean, it's – I don't think I'm giving away too much, Jim. I'm just trying to want to so, understand so what you do. I'm gonna ex- yeah, go ahead. I'm going to explain a little bit about what you were just talking about in regards to blood pressure and so on, being that I've had, you know, been in combat and been in very high stressful situations overseas to include what I've done on, on SRT, you know, your body goes through changes when you get in really high stress situations, you have your fight or flight kicks in, which is an adrenaline spike, right? You also have your blood pressure goes up and it's not uncommon for people to get tunnel vision. Right. So the best way to learn how to deal with that, is to train for it. So it wasn't uncommon for us uh, in the military or in um, in SRT to where we would run obstacle courses or we would put our bodies, you know, you may you may wrestle or, or, or do grappling with somebody for five straight minutes to where you're exhausted. Right. And then you have to go ahead and, and put your pistol into operation or your rifle That's and right. actually go through the course when you're struggling to breathe and you got tunnel vision because as you breathe, Right. Your rifle or your pistol is going to go up and down as you breathe. Right. And so you have to learn how to control these situations and you have to learn how to overcome that. And that's why we train for it. You're going to train like you fight. So you have to literally put everything you have into it. And then so when we go into 
a house like this, it doesn't matter if it's a trailer, a multi-level house, we're going to do it the way we need to do it. And we are very, very thorough. Because right. the last thing any one of us want is to miss a step, not do a proper secondary sweep, and then we turn our backs thinking everything is secure, and then somebody comes out behind them. Yep. They can shoot us. They can stab us. That's right. Anything can happen. That's and that's the what you do not want. And I know I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I did that and somebody got hurt or got killed. And that's where so you— So we take it go ahead. extremely seriously all the way Yeah, you can, but here's the deal. That, that's where you have—it goes back to brotherhood we talked about— um, uh, in, in the Perkins episode, the, the, that's where you literally have to depend. When we, Jim and I took the door together, I have to depend and believe that he's going to do his job so thoroughly that my life literally depends on it, that he's not going to miss some jack leg in the room that's going to come out and blow my head off with a shotgun. Yeah, uh, so that's that's where the – and we're kind of getting off on a tangent. It's my fault, but I, I think people need to know, understand that. Um, that it's a, it's a very real deal and you play the way you practice. So, uh, but the, so went through it, it, and, and, you know, did secured it initially, did a secondary sweep and then you bring in, uh, it's time to go in and do the search, actually serve the search warrant. So I gave the lady, the mom, the search warrant. She's, she's sitting on the couch and I told her, just don't say anything. She wanted to talk actually. And, uh, the, actually, I, I did ask her, I said, where is he at? And she said he left. And and she said he took all his guns and he left when he realized the girls uh, didn't get off the bus. And I called the school, and and the school said that I had to call the office, uh, OCS, basically, Office of Child Protective Services. And she said he freaked out, and he was uh, screaming, ranting, and raving. He loaded up his guns uh, and and talking about, that, you know, y'all would never take him alive and all this stuff. And I said, well, just sit tight. So we had to make, uh, naturally have somebody outside watching to make sure he's not coming back to, uh, you know, shoot us up while we're in there. But then we begin the search of the residence and we didn't find any video. Well, you know, given, go ahead. Sorry, I mean, I'm going to cut you off there. Just once we knew the amount of firearms in there, what you could see, um, as far as like, leftover or additional boxes of ammunition that was in the gun case, but there was no weapons in there. You know, he's got some serious firepower. So we're going to obviously go outside and take up some sort of tactical positions and some sort of lookout. That way we can keep the remaining, um, you know, personnel that's there at the residence safe. Right. And that we know if he's coming in or out, we, we're, we're protecting ourselves and protecting the mom and anyone else that's in the area as well. Right, right. I mean, and, and there there have been cases where the person has left and then come back when we're in the middle of the search and had to be taken down. So we know he's armed to the teeth. She said that. She said he's going, you know, you're not going to take him alive. Um, he's going to kill y'all, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, okay, whatever. So we, the, the, we did what we do anyway. So we began to search y'all. And we go into the parents' bedroom, and they had uh, like a, a king-size waterbed. I remember thinking, who the hell has waterbeds? I hadn't seen one since like 1988. But, the, uh, but that was – it was a small room, and, and the, this big-ass waterbed took it up. But the uh, it had a closet that didn't have doors on it, or maybe the doors were open. The, all I remember is seeing a washing machine box that uh, – and I was like, it's just strange. It was stuck 
it was right in like the middle of the closet at the base of the bed. And there wasn't that much room between the base of the bed and the closet. And I go over and I look in the box and I literally see a mountain of dicks. And I mean, there must be a hundred. I can't say a hundred. I, 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 it might, it might've been a hundred. There were more dildos and vibrators and sex toys than I've ever seen in my entire life. And, and I was like, holy shit. And, uh, I called Jim in the, of course we had gloves and, 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 but here's the deal. When you do the search warrant and you seize any items as potential evidence, you actually have to write this shit down and describe what they are for your search warrant return. So the, the, the Jim came and helped me do that. And there was uh, bottles of, 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 generic brand ky jelly and 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 not is that what they call it ky jelly whatever it is lubricants mm-hmm. on on the side of the bed that was evidence obviously but we were going through and i don't remember the exact uh number of of it it, it wasn't just dildos uh uh it was battery operated ones i guess which i guess battery operated vibrators so it was vibrators dildos a plethora all shapes and sizes uh, Benoit, Benoit balls, what do they call it? Right. The, the ass there beads. Was, there was also butt plugs. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the kicker of it all. Now the mom could see us. And when we found the box and, and it, the, the, and I had somebody bring her in there and I'm like, what, what's all this? And she was like, well, I mean, you know, um, that's our stuff. And then get into it and pull out the biggest damn dildo thing I've ever seen. And it was like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not joking with you. It was like three and a half feet long and bigger than around than Jim Raffman's upper arms. I mean, it was like bigger than around than a baseball bat. And it had a big suction cup on the bottom of it, which I guess was to use to mount to the floor. And I'm being descriptive on this part on purpose, y'all, not to be funny, but I was like, holy fuck. I mean, what do you do? Who, what do you do? With I don't this even know thing? how it would be possible. I don't, and the mom said, oh, no, 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 that, that's a, that's just a gag. That's just a gag. And I'm thinking, well, you know what? I don't know a whole lot about sex toys, but I know enough to know that they cost money. And this son bitch must cost hundreds of dollars. It's the biggest one. It was a flesh colored, like it might have been four feet long. I, biggest damn around uh, bigger than that bottle the guy had up his ass on lumber slumber i can tell you that it was huge uh uh so it was anyway it was a, a plethora of sex toys and literally we had to count them out um i wish it hadn't been so many years ago and i can remember the number because you wouldn't look like a huge mortar round is really what yeah it that's like. right it, it was I mean, it's like as long as my leg i'm thinking it's three and a half four feet long but and then it's so big around i really don't know I don't know. I, I just never seen one. So, but we have to seize all this shit up, get it. Then we, uh, we finish the search warrant. We take the mom, the, um, the other kids, the, all the girl kids, the OCS takes them into their custody for the night. And what they, y'all, what they do, the OCS really is, I think sometimes they catch a lot, a lot of bad rap in child custody cases, but they actually do care about, um, the girls, especially the ones that they have to take into foster care of and 
or any kid, they have to take in a foster care overnight. They take them and they buy them like a book, uh, a, a backpack and, and, and new underwear and stuff like that, you know, clothes to wear and stuff like that. Uh, toothpaste and, and all that. And they place them wherever it is. They place them. I don't know. But the, so the main thing is Jim and I take the mom back to our office in, uh, interviewing shit, shit. She said the same thing. She said it started, uh, my husband and I were having sex on the couch in the victim would say what was she, she said she was like six or seven years old and that, uh, he called, he wanted me to call her in there to watch us, watch us have sex. And he said, so I, she said, so I did. And then it happened again and again. And eventually he got her to where she started having sex with us. And then I was like, what is your, really your fucking thought process on that? I didn't curse, but I'm just like, yeah, we're being nice, trying to get the full confession. Um, and she said that it was just, he wanted, he, he was so controlling that he always kept him secluded and living down on the bayou where nobody could get to him. They didn't have any friends or anything like that. And his reasoning for it was he was teaching his daughters how to, properly service their husbands when they grew up no shit and i was like okay so then we have to go through each each kid the approximate age it started happening at where they were living at uh down in terrebonne uh parish and you know trying to get as much geographical information as we could etc and you know go ahead jims you could yeah, I mean it, it's it's mind blowing when you think about it. That one, I mean, her thought process to allow this to happen, and then when you're hearing the all the amount of times, the ages, locations, and you're just like, why? Like, how how does you how does your thought process go? Well, this is perfectly fine. This is this is acceptable behavior. Yeah, it blows my mind. Yeah. Oh, one of the things we did do, y'all. One of the first things we did when we got we got done with the search warrant was uh, here's the deal. We didn't know where he went, but he's been from down there from for basically his whole life. He worked in the seafood industry down there. So one of the first things we did for all cop safety is put out a bolo or be on the lookout for and gave his his uh, name. Uh, the vehicle information, the fact that he's armed, the fact that he stated he's going to kill cops. Um, and I actually knew uh, Terrebonne Parish Sheriff's Office Chief Deputy. Uh, his last name was Huey. Uh, I guess that's a Cajun. It's not Huey, H-U-E-Y. was U-H-E, something like that. And he was an older guy. But I had met him a couple times over the years, and I called him directly. And I said, hey, Chief, this dude's from down there. He said, you know what, Shy? He, he was old. Old Cajun also he says, I don't, I don't know him. He must not have never been in any trouble. I said, I, probably not. I said, but he, you know, he, he's got plenty of trouble now, and he's saying he's going to kill the cops. I said, I don't know for a fact that he's coming to Terrebonne. I said, but Chief, you've been doing this as long as I have. And when people, when sugar turns to shit and they run like a little bitch, that's a double phrase used there for y'all fans. They run like a little bitch. They always run to home base. And right, Jim. No matter where, every time. where you're from, if you've been living in Los Angeles or wherever it is, if you're from Podunk, 
Louisiana or whatever small town you're from, if you do a murder, et cetera, and you run and hide, you are going home. And anyway, so we wanted to give them a heads up, and we did that. And he said, oh, we'll be looking for him. You know, he said, I'm going to have my guys. And then uh, so we alerted them to that. We worked her full confession over all the kids. And, y'all, it would take hours if we told you everything. But I'm going to tell you, they raped every one of their daughters, both of them, orally, vaginally. They uh, didn't say they did anything. Every week. Yeah. yeah, And they – as the daughters, I think he wanted wanted them to be the youngest one had just started getting it. It's just just started being raped. I think he wanted them to be like seven or something like that before he did it. Um, and when that goes with your preferential offender, they have certain age ranges they like. And also him being, even though he's not formally educated, he was intelligent. Uh, but the controlling the uh, controlling the family. Now, I, you know what? I remember, Jim, you asked her about the cell phone thing in the minutes, and she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. If they wanted anything, they had to give them a, a blowjob at least. And I was like, damn. Now, she was pretty, I'm going to say simple-minded. The mom was, obviously. This guy was the, I'm not saying that, that doesn't make her any less culpable for the rapes, but obviously the, this guy ran this girl's mind, right? Completely. Yeah. I mean, like. Through and through, and it. He'd come up with what he wants as a re- for his return for whatever it is that they need. And, and the fact that she just was groomed, if you will, over the years into bringing it. She's the one. She had to get out of their bed, go down the hall, and she picked which one they were going to rape that night. For real. I mean, you just can't make that shit up. Uh, uh, so we were working on it, but basically when we got done with her – it, we did it for hours. We did it. We interviewed her for hours and the, uh, not just for, for all the details of the crime, but we were really trying to work up a, a uh, profile on this guy. And what we had when we got done was super domineering, you know, intelligent enough to get away with it for all these years to get to and controlling enough to keep his family down there on the bayou. Look, he would go out on, on, uh, the fishing boat for days and, and if not weeks at a time and they still wouldn't go tell anybody but here's the thing they didn't fucking know the 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 kids imagine that you just literally think that everybody has to be fuck their daddy to get to get minutes for a cell phone or everybody every kid out there when it comes bedtime their parents are gonna go get them and rape them uh I mean, they just, they were, they didn't, they didn't have any friends. And that was the problem when, when the boys started paying attention to the oldest one. Uh, and uh, and that goes in with the cell phone thing she wanted. And I was like, if you don't have any friends, how does she get a cell phone? She said, Oh no, it was really my cell phone. And we didn't have a lot of money for her birthday. So we said that, uh, we gave it to her and she could use it. Some to call some of her friends from school. Cause all her friends were like, yeah, but the, you're, the the young teenagers, you always want to talk on the phone, right? So it actually wasn't the baby's cell phone, um, but he did catch her. He he caught her talking to a boy and lost his shit. And it shows you his mindset where he packs, he drives up to Livingston Parish, which is two and a half hours away at, at minimum from that. And fine, fine, go ahead. One of the things I remember in regards to the phone, 
the reason she had the prepaid phone um, is that you did you got free minutes That's right. after a certain time period at night. So That's she right. was able to have those free minutes is where she would end up talking the majority of her time. That's right. And, and I, the other thing, too, Jim, was every time they wanted to get more minutes on the phone, that was always stuck with me, more minutes on the phone. He actually, the dad turned that into another way to get more sex from him, not, not more sex, to, to sure rape, him, rape him more. So psychopath, um, just a fucking shit bag fuck face, whatever you want to call him, um, dirt bag. Who's who's I'm now I'm afraid he's going to kill a cop, but we can't stop. We, and to sum it all up, we lock her up. We got volumes of information from her. Um, I got with OCS the next morning cause we worked at her to like one or two o'clock at night, getting all the information. Uh, we got with OCS. The kids were actually being all the, all the victims were being placed with, a family friend, a distant relative, somebody down in, in Terrebonne Parish that, that to be housed with, so they didn't have to be housed in an orphanage or whatever they call them nowadays, foster home. I don't know what they call them, but the, um, so they, we had to get, do the CACs, child access center interviews on the other three daughters for the Livingston Parish case, as well as Terrebonne had to start doing their CACs for their cases. And with the, uh, I called the chief and he was like, you know, Hey, he said, you come on down, you come on down, shall you do yours? And, and then, uh, we'll get on ours after yours. He said, you already got the warrant. We'll get him arrested. He's got to be extradited to y'all anyway. So that made sense. Right. But the, so we're driving down to, to Homa, uh, over the next couple of days. They can't find this cat and everybody's on, on the lookout for him. Um, driving down to Homa, doing the interviews on other kids. And it's the same horror story over and over again, everything from the toys to the mama coming to get them, whatever. Um, I remember we got back late one evening from, I think we did two one day. Yeah. And one, the first day and then two, the second day. And by the time we got back to Livingston Parish, it was late. And my pager goes off. I just got home. And this radio room said, give him a 1021, and, which is a phone call. And I called, and they said, hey, that chief from the Terrebonne Parish Sheriff's Office wants you to call him uh, ASAP. So I called him, and, and he said, Woody. I said, yes, sir. He said, we got him. I said, uh, so where would you get him? He said, let me tell you a story. He said, uh, I had my guys out, you know, looking, and they, they, they found this truck. And the they'd seen him coming out of a convenience store or something. Like I said, it's a one or two lane road naturally, but it's it's a small road that goes down there. And you know, there's not that many stores and stuff. There. And he said, but one of the guys had seen that truck and remembered the bolo, and they they watched to where he went, and he parked uh, by a shrimp boat. And so they got their SRT guys together, and they set up on him, and he was basically breaking into this shrimp boat and staying on it. And so once that uh, they've been watching for like a day and a half on the second day, the uh, when he didn't come out, they hit it uh, that night around nine or 10 o'clock, whatever it was. And, and I said, well, I said, did he shoot it out? Did he shoot it out? And he said, I said, you know, he was armed and you know, he took all the guns and all the ammunition. And he said, yeah, he was armed. All right. Yeah. I said, well, so what happened? He said, we threw a flashbang. Blew the doors off the boat, hit it, and he was armed. He said he was butt naked, 
and his ass was greased up and he had a dildo. He said he didn't have no guns. He had a dildo. He said, I've been doing this for 30 some years and the man was armed with a dildo. And I was like, that kind of fits with him, right? So he literally, they got him. He was butt naked at his bottom and his ass. His bottom was greased up, and he had a, he had a dildo in his hand, and he didn't fight, didn't fire a shot. There wasn't even a gun on the boat. Evidently, he'd sold the guns. Well, I found that out later on, but he'd sold the guns for money. So Jim and I are loading up. Jim? Go ahead, buddy. Then, I'm saying we're, we're – so we load up. I call Jim. We roll out. We drive back down there. We get there. Uh, they pull him out of the jail. They bring him into the interview room, and here comes this little troll. He's about a four foot nothing. I mean, I don't know. He wasn't four foot, but he he was a little bitty dude. Kind of reminded me of David Constance, a little troll looking frumpy. Napoleon syndrome. Yeah, he was. Wasn't he? he was a little dude, and it, it, it just ugly as a fucking. I don't know what you know. Which just ugly pockmarked face, nasty, and he stunk. And they put us in this little bitty interview room. I could smell like baby oil or something, though, but he stunk the body odor, and I was like, fuck. So we go in, we sit down, and the first thing I'm going to and baby oil. Yeah, baby oil. <laughs> and baby oil. He hadn't been there long. That uh, He hadn't showered out or anything like that. He was in uh, an orange jumpsuit. They said across the table, Jim and I talked about it all the way down there. I said, look, this dude's going to be domineering. He's going to be controlling. I said, we're going to have to roll a little submissive on him. Uh, you know, and I, and I told y'all before in previous episodes, some people, some people you have to be a little more aggressive with, some people a little passive with, some people in between, whatever. So we're going to go in and figure him out right away. You nailed it, Jim, the Napoleon syndrome. We'll go in, introduce ourselves. And say, you know, you're under arrest for our warrant you know, for the aggravated rape of your daughter. And he's just like there, just looking like I'm the smartest motherfucker in the room. You know, what you got to say, you know, and uh, the, yeah, he's just, we got him past Miranda and had him sign the form and everything. And, and he, he said, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you. And and he had a heavy Cajun accent. And, and I said, okay, the, um, I mean, Here's the deal. We know what you did. We know what you and your wife have done to all your daughters. So we have all their statements, uh, et cetera. And he said, and I said, and, and I'm just want to know why you would do that. You know, and he said, that's my daughters. And it's none of your business. It's my daughters. And I was like, okay. And I said, yeah, I see, you know what? You're right. Yes, sir. They're your daughters. And I started being a little more submissive. And I started not looking him in the eye. And I was like, I said, well, here's the deal. Yeah. Go ahead, Jim. One thing I want to say for everybody listening, if when you become a detective and you get really good at the job, you'll wear whatever hat you have to wear to get the juice. So if I have to be angry, I'm going to be angry. If I have to be submissive, we'll be submissive. It doesn't matter. Whatever role we've got to do, we're going to do it because at the end of the day, we're going to come out with that juice. And that's, that's it. what matters most. That's the ultimate goal is to get the juice, the confession. I mean, we had him, but the, and the reason you all the getting the juice is so important is because I don't want these babies to have to sit through a trial with their mama and daddy for aggravated rape. And guess what? Aggravated rape, the least you can get in the state of Louisiana 
is mandatory life in prison without the possibility of probation or parole. So what you have is you know you're going to have a trial automatically. Actually, the death penalty is an option for aggravated rape on a child uh, 13 and under in the state of Louisiana. It's only been given one time in one case to a guy, I think he's from Jefferson Parish, but they didn't execute him for it. Um, and the, even though he got sentenced, I think that's back in the seventies when, when the, the death penalty got taken off the table or, or waived for a couple of years, whatever. Uh, so his sentence got commuted to life, but that's the option death penalty or life without. So we, we've got to get the confession. I'm, I'm getting, I'm a, I do whatever I have to do to get the confession to stop these babies from having to go sit through a, a trial and, uh, and and some have some asshole defense attorney, you know, whatever. But that's what it was about. So I played submissive to him, and and I knew what I was doing. I mean, I've been done it hundreds of thousands of hours of interview interrogation, and so I mean, Jim and I talked about it, literally the whole two and a half hours down there, and we kicked around the different scenarios. But that's one of the reasons we gathered so much info from the mom uh, um, is to try to figure out how to crack this nut if he didn't kill himself or kill, take the gun way out. And I knew I was going to have to be a bitch. And, and I, and so I started bowing my head to him and I look in the eye and he fed off of it immediately. As soon as I started, yes, sir. And I hung my head a little bit. He, he puffed up a little bit more, a little bit more. And I said, yes, sir. And he's like, the, I said, look, I said, sir, you know, you're not going to be able to protect your daughters anymore. I said, I, I understand you don't want your daughters having sex with any boys or any men. And he said, well, I ain't talking if I can't protect them. And I said, well, I I can help you protect them. I said, but you got to tell the truth. I said, the only way you can, and I'm going to help you protect them is if you tell us everything and you don't have to go to trial. I said, if you really want to protect them, you'll just tell the truth like your wife did. So you don't have to go to trial. I said, I know you love your daughters. It's obvious. You love them. I said, you were training them to be good wives. And, and he said, that's right. That's right. That's what I was doing. I said, yes, sir. I understand that you were training them to be the best wives possible so they could have a good husband and make you some grandbabies. Eventually after they were married, he said, yeah, yeah, they had to be married to have sex with anybody else. And, and the, um, anyway, longer or short of it is, I told him, I said, I will absolutely protect your daughters from having sex with anybody. I'm thinking, you stupid motherfucker. Uh, in my mind, I want to come across the table and knock his teeth down his throat, but I'm playing the game. I said, I will, I will help you, but you get, you have to protect them first by telling everything so this doesn't go to trial. And shit. And he said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to tell you, Shy, if you don't protect my babies, he said, I don't care what prison they put me in. If my babies fuck somebody before they get married and I find out I'm coming for you. You understand I'm coming for you. I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Are you coming for me? He said, I'll get you too. You know that, don't you? I said, yes, sir. I know you'll come get me. I'm afraid. I promise you. I'm, I mean, right, Jim, I played like I'm the ultimate little bitch. It, Explain. You, you played it extremely well, but I'll tell you, nobody, in my opinion, I'll put Woody up to anybody that says that they're the best uh, interviewers, interrogators, whatever word you want to use. Um, this is interviewing. For those that won't think we're going to be too harsh, but um, I put I put Woody up to anybody because nobody can lay out the out, as you will, on a case better than Woody. You know, giving him the out, 
or whatever he's got to do to get the juice, I'll put Woody up to anyone in the country. Anyone. I appreciate the that. The man yeah. knows his shit. So I got to get you on that because you played this one to the T. You played it so beautifully. Yeah, I appreciate it. But the, the I just, you know, I try to get inside their, their heads and figure out what it, how to get the juice. And, and the juice is as much about getting the confession for my ego, which it really wasn't, but it's more about the getting the closure for these babies so they didn't have to go to trial. And y'all look, he ended up, he threatened me and all that. And, and, and I bowed down to him and everything. But you know what? He gave the full fucking confession, everything. And, and that backed up his wife's story. Uh, and backed up the kids' stories, and, and so we extradited he him. He left nothing out. Nothing. He laid. He was proud. He got more. More he told about it. The more puffed, like I guess Napoleon, like he said, the short man of stand or whatever you want to call it. But he got more and more puffed up. And the more he got puffed up, the more he got puffed up. The more he would talk down to me, and I was like, "Yes, sir, I understand. Yes, sir." And in you know the uh, so he. He actually, he was kind of fucking boasting uh, about it. And I wanted, to, like I said, I wanted to knock his teeth down his throat. I know Jim wanted to kill him, but you have to sit there and play, play your part. But what we, what we got was gold. And I'm going to tell you why. All the cases, all the aggravated rape cases we've done, that's the only fucking one that I never had to go to court on. Get this. Lawyers don't plead their clients directly to life in prison. You're going to do a motion to suppress to try to get the initial uh, confession thrown out. And the that's the defense's way of getting a free shot of seeing what the prosecution has. Plus, let's just say they're going to always say we beat it out of them or coerced it out of them or whatever. But that's their own free shot. Guess what? Never heard from this cat again he didn't fight it he is the only person that i know and jim i i I think i can speak for you on this too he's the only person in my career that ever pled himself to life in prison that's it with i've never had it never even seen it till this that and in but because he just knew that we were going to make sure his babies didn't have any sex. That's all he wanted to know. And as long as he, n- nobody else could have sex with his kids before they got married. And so we made him that promise. And I'm thinking, yeah, you jackass. But they never heard from him again. Never had a court date on him. Never heard anything other than he's doing life in Angola. I mean, you can only do so many life sentences. You couldn't begin to count up how many years, at least six years on one of them. And then you add in the other three victims and figuring out if it was just three nights a week. I mean, you're talking about thousands of counts of rape uh, on, on the different victims. So they sent them some to life. They didn't fight it. I, I guess he was honorable in that respect, but the, um, but anyway, that's it. The, uh, but the, on the shrimp boat, this, the, it's always the ones that say they're going to go out guns a blazing that you never fucking have to worry about. They never do. They always go out like a little bitch. And it's the ones that don't talk, right, Jim, that you got to worry about starting the shooting. The quiet ones. The quiet ones. But I just, the, that's it. The, uh, uh, it's a hard story to hear. It's hard to fathom. And, you know, we've been doing it a long time, but it's hard to fathom that people out there 
that live like that and they raise their families like that and how how what what can take your mind to that level but i'm gonna tell you something people for every one of you good people out there there is a there is an opposite that um you know evil does exist and it is what it is so all right so that what we'll conclude shrimp boat y'all and um I hope you enjoyed it. I, I can't say enjoyed it, but I hope you found it interesting and informative. Um, Jim? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting story, which is why we're sharing it. Um, it's inc- it's, it's real life. It's real life, real crime. Just tells you how sick and twisted this world is. Yeah. So. Give it to you as it is. And, and it, you would think. Stories like that would, you know, we've heard us talk about doing perp walks and stuff in the past. This is not somebody you're going to perp walk. You're not going to get anything out of it other than hurting his kids. And look, those girls were all sweet kids. I mean, I got to meet them all. Uh, uh, and Jim did also after the CAC interviews, yeah. introduce ourselves. So and you do that after the CAC interviews in case it comes down the line to where you have to go to court or the grand jury or whatever. So you start making them get comfortable with you and trusting you. But just, you know, I, I don't have any idea. And people ask Jim about past cases and stuff like the Jackie case and stuff like that. I don't keep up. I never kept up with people uh, um, after these cases are over because we always had another hundred cases to work. Uh, um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, and I don't have the brain capacity to do that. Now, I can remember things like it was yesterday with a photographic memory, but I'm horrible with names to begin with. But I pray those babies. I know that they they Casa get some good counseling and, and and all that. And I just pray that they came out well. And I hope that uh, the I hope that they're survivors, not victims. And um, hope I mean they all would be they all be in their twenties, if not early thirties now. So yeah, but, and they, I think the easiest way to explain what you were saying earlier, you know, the the case might be over, but the job continues. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. on to the next case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, that, just because you work in a hot case doesn't mean other bodies aren't hitting the ground or other people aren't getting raped or robbed. I mean, it just never stops, and and so just move on, you know. But anyway, I mean, I was I worked I worked a bank robbery and a homicide at the same all at the same time. Yeah, if you remember on state yeah, down, I, I do. I do. The uh, uh, that's how. You were in the area to catch the call because you were over on, on the mm-hmm. other one, so on the robbery. All right, well, Jim, you got anything? No, thank you guys for listening and supporting us and following us on Instagram and, and the Facebook crew page. Uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram, Real Life Real Crime, you can follow Overton Woody or Jim underscore Rathman. So you can follow us on Instagram, come meet us over there, we'll interact with you on there. Same with Facebook. We have the crew page. Uh, we also have our patron page. So go on the, you know, the real life, real crime Facebook page and come be, come join us. Uh, we look forward to talking with you guys and interacting and really looking forward to, to meeting a lot of you come January 24th and 25th. It's going to be an exciting time for us as well as you. And, uh, we definitely look forward to talking with you. Yeah. And hey, we love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. Y'all, I think we're we're uh, at like nine thousand nine hundred members on the crew page today. Something close to that. The we're growing. I, I, um, 
appreciate y'all. We we took off Thanksgiving week to be with our families. And that was the first time since we started Real Life Real Crime last February 9th that we didn't drop an episode. So it's been almost two weeks. I guess you'll get this on Saturday. And uh, so we, 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 y'all, we're still growing every day. The numbers are phenomenal. And it's because of y'all look, if you can't be a patron member, we love you just as much. You know, please just keep liking and sharing us and especially the Instagram and, you know, the Facebook, the crew page and our regular pages, whatever. Hey, I don't think that there's anybody that has messaged us that we don't respond back or you make a comment. We try to, to, uh, comment back on everybody because we appreciate y'all taking the com- time to comment with us. You know, and, and a lot of it's funnier than hell that, uh, so but we appreciate y'all and just help us keep growing and, and uh, invite people to follow us on Instagram, Jim. Is that how it works? I mean, I know on the on the crew page, you get in and, and people come in and they invite all their friends to come in. Uh, uh, right. So just help they us. They would just have to share it with their friends. Well, for Instagram, you just go on ours and click on follow and that's it. We'll interact from there. Yeah, and, and do that, y'all. That's what that's where the love comes from. The, the patron helps us financially, but the love and the enjoyment, but we, we get it from the patron members also. It, be, it comes from all the fans, and uh, um, and we, you know, we love y'all. And we appreciate you, lifers, and and you kick ass, and we, we love y'all. And uh, we got a lot of exciting things coming up um, in the future, and we're going to continue to do more. Uh, the patron members got an episode this week, the Hitman episode, and it's the first time we use this new sound system. And evidently, it's a thousand times better than what we were doing. But we are going to continue to get better, y'all. I promise you that. And I, um, that's it for this time. I know I'm leaving out a bunch of stuff. I guess leave us a review on iTunes and you know like us and all that good podcast uh, podcast host talk things i'm supposed to say y'all listen to them on other shows help us grow we love you and we appreciate you thanks so much and till next time or ever don't let us catch you down on murder by you peace peace did you know that alaska is a serial killer and missing person capital of the united states There's definitely a dark side to the 49th state, and with over 3 million lakes and 663,000 square miles, that's an awful lot of space to get lost in or hide a body. Murder Under the Midnight Sun tells true crime stories that will give you a different perspective on the last frontier. Available on your favorite podcast platform. Do